Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Later on, I have the drawing for this month's supporter giveaway, the awesome Triple Bypass Genesis 2. But for now, let's just jump into the news. First up, Terra Onion just released a firmware update for the SSD S3 that swaps the CD audio channels back to where they should be. I guess back in June, the firmware version 1.02 update swapped the CD audio channels. So if I'm understanding this correctly, if you were to play a Hue card or a ROM or anything that's not CD audio, you would get it correctly, but the CD audio channels left would be in right and right would be in left. And that's regardless of if you used it stock or with the Firebrand X amp. So this firmware fixes everything. Um, If you'd already installed the audio bypass, don't do anything. Everything is fine the way it was. It just uh, it has everything going through the correct channel. The only question I was wondering is why did it take from June till now to do that? Um, the bug was first reported, I believe, publicly in August. So I just I don't understand why it took so long to put out a firmware that just swapped channels. But I mean, I guess that's what we've come to expect, right? So. Uh, if you own one of those, I mean, it's a no-brainer just do the firmware update and have your CD audio channels correct. Um, and I don't think there was anything else too big in that firmware update, so I don't think you have to worry about this breaking something else. Uh, it should just be, a, I would call it a must-have, because it fixes that weird problem. Next, Ace has just announced that he's working on making an Arkanoid FPGA core for the Mr. platform. And it's right now in a usable state. Smoke Monster had showed it off on his channel, uh, and it looks really cool. So, um, you know, I just, I can't, I can't express how awesome all of this stuff is. Real FPGA cores for arcade games. Um, and, you know, seeing, seeing the newer style games, and when I say newer style, I just don't mean like 81, 82. Like seeing more modern style games uh, get added to this platform is really exciting. So thanks so much for everybody working on all this stuff. Uh, at every level, from people designing the uh, the Verilog uh, code and writing that to the people just getting the information out there. It's really awesome to see, um, and I'm looking forward to trying this one out. And perfectly timed, Ghetto Bill Gates just announced that he's releasing the design files for a 3D printed rotary controller that could be used with things like the Arkanoid Core for Mr., as well as some other platforms. Um, He has a 3D print design that uh, encloses a high-quality spinner and a regular arcade button. And uh, I think it's my opinion, at least, that stuff like this should be considered a necessity when playing certain games. Um, It is kind of fun to play Arkanoid on, like, a touchscreen so that you could move the control that way. But I just, I prefer the spinner controller. And games like Tempest just don't feel right without it. Uh, I know Cousin Scott had gotten really into this stuff when he had customized his own arcade stick and went uh, went to the lengths of making sure the the one that he used was weighted properly. Uh, I guess there's a few different kinds, and he wants the ones where <clears throat> when it's weighted right, you could spin it, and it just spins pretty much, uh, you know, for a long time. So that way you get the correct weight, you're able to, to have it react the same. So having a good, high-quality rotary controller is important for a lot of these games. So anybody that's interested, um, there's instructions here on how to build it, uh, where to get the things printed, where to buy everything. And, uh, you know, I really like this stuff. I also like the ones that were that, that took the original Atari 2600 controllers and added a high-quality spinner to that. 
So I guess what I would really love to see is whatever method that you get your spinner controller, modding something else, 3D printing it, uh, I just would love to see it usable on a few different platforms. So I guess maybe that means it would need an MC Cthulhu inside it or, or something like that so that you could use this on the original Atari, on the Mr., on what, you know, a, a Raspberry Pi for just regular gaming. But either way, I'm glad that the hardware exists now, so let's all figure out cool different ways to implement it. Chris, a.k.a. Beyond Pixels, has just written a new page about the Super Cassette Vision, a console that I had honestly never heard of before, so I think it's really awesome that we're getting uh, new people to bring new perspectives on gaming onto the site. But um, he goes into talking about the console as well as showing the pinout to make your own RGB cable uh, and kind of what it looks like. So very cool addition. Uh, maybe I'll get to play with these one of the, you know, sometime in the future, but seems like a pretty neat old console, and if you have one, at least you can get RGB with just a cable. Brooke has just announced a Bluetooth adapter that will work with the PC Engine and Sega Genesis consoles. It's one small box with a, a Y cable, uh, and I assume this is going to work with PC Engine, all PC Engines and Turbo Duos, but the original Turbo Graphics had that larger plug connector, so I'm not really sure how they're going to be handling that one. Uh, but it's set at $60 and should be released in May. And I'm not really sure about that $60 price point because you could get a full Joys from Crix for less than that. That's both the receiver and the wireless controller. Uh, or you could just get, um, I mean, you can get a couple 8-bit Doe versions of the Genesis uh, Bluetooth adapter for much less. So I'm not really sure what the pricing is meant to target, but I'm sure there's at least a few people out there that'll see this article and go, oh, that's perfect for my setup because. So it's good that there's options. And I think this might be the only option for PC Engine stuff. Uh, I don't think I've seen any wireless controller options for it at all. So it's nice that there's a choice now. Um, not sure if this is for everybody, but cool that it's out there. Dan and Kristoff, the team that brought you the Dreamcast HDMI, is now working on their own lag testing hardware. I guess Dan had purchased one of the Leo Bodnar testers, which I actually have right here, uh, and he had compatibility issues with some of his monitors. I did as well. This wouldn't work on my OLED, but it did seem to work pretty nicely on pretty much everything else I threw at it. Uh, but Dan and Kristoff is aiming to have a device that outputs 480p, 720p, and 1080p, and it would come in just the PCB with a 3D printed case design available for it. I believe Dan's going to do a very small run of production at first just to do an interest check and then consider possibly offering it somewhere. But I think it's awesome to have something like this designed by the retro gaming community for the retro gaming community. Because while these things are great and I'm, I'm happy that they're, uh, you know, they're usable, they do have their own issues. And I want to see things like, you know, can we test monitors? Uh, monitors or TVs in their built-in scalers, would there ever be provable lag between 480p and 1080p? It would also be great if there's a 480i setting as well, because one thing that I would love solid numbers on is what TVs have a lot of lag added when interlace or when deinterlacing is added as well. Um, and that's something that I talked about, I think, last week with the DC HDMI now allowing for 480i pass-through. Um, I think some TVs would make that look pretty great, but at what cost? So having a lag tester that's, uh, you know, with retro gamers in mind so that we could test all of these things and have solid numbers is awesome. Uh, I, of course, asked Dan to be put on the list for test units. So as soon as this thing's released, I'll definitely do a little video on it and show people how it works. 
Next, and some pretty exciting news for SNES fans, Crix and Akari have just announced the SD to SNES Pro ROM cart that's going to be released later this month. I guess the original SD to SNES has its main chip going end of life, so they were required to switch to a newer chip. And I guess, you know, as things are in the tech world, the newest chip that's the same price is more powerful. So they're calling this newer version the Pro version, um, and they're aiming to offer some pretty awesome features. Uh, Akari said that he's looking to do things like uh, turbo mode for the Super FX chip, um, have fully functional save states, which includes the audio state of the chip, so that when you restore from your save state, you don't have the audio issues. And possibly, maybe in the future, it would be theoretically possible to offer Super Game Boy support. Now, I don't think Works even started on that, but I think that Akari just wanted to put into perspective how much could potentially be done with this cart. Um, but at the very least, things like SA1 special chip support can now have MSU audio at the same time, allowing for you know a, a pretty powerful solution, something that certainly... Uh, would have been near impossible in a real Super Nintendo. So it's absolutely awesome news. Um, Smoke Monster did kind of a short follow-up interview with Akari talking about this, uh, which I will link to as soon as it's up. Uh, as always, you could just check the news pages on Retro RGB, but as soon as that's public, I'll update the link in this YouTube description as well. And I'm absolutely thrilled. The Super Nintendo is my favorite console, so I will be getting one of these the moment they're available. One thing that did upset me about this was the amount of people that posted angry comments that there was a new hardware version. Um, I guess their argument was that this was supposed to be one piece of hardware that we all continue to develop th uh, the software for, but it's one thing to rely on. And for those of you who posted angry comments that don't know how electronic life cycles work, I'll give you a pass this one time, but here's basically how it works. Your average thing is made for about two years and sold for a little longer than that as well as long as there's stock. Sometimes it's a lot longer if they don't sell, but whatever. Uh, your average embedded lifespan of something is 10 years, but it's almost impossible to find products that, that go past that. And from I've worked in the embedded system space, so I know that even some of the stuff that did supposedly have a 10-year guarantee, very often it's hard to get it towards the end of that. So there's no choice. It's not, this wasn't some evil plot to wait until you and just you bought an SD to SNES so that they could release this the next day, which is how most of these people were acting, which is the same irrational behavior that I saw when Renee posted the article, pretty much proving that those Neo Geo 161 and 1 carts will eventually kill your Neo Geo. Uh, you know, there was other things in that article that still debated for no reason. I don't think anybody ever debated the Neo Geo part. Once once he put out the uh the you know all the schematics and the you know the his whole evaluation of it, people realized, wow, these things are terrible and people still get really offended and upset that the thing that they bought isn't as cool as they thought. So I would love to know the psychology behind that. I would love to know the psychology behind all of this. Um, maybe I could help by explaining things different. But just 
as a, a you know a brief overview on these things, if you're going to have an adult conversation about why you think there is a good or bad reason for any of this stuff, you are always welcome to post anywhere that I am. Even if I disagree with your opinion, that's that's cool. I've learned a lot from people who disagree with me. But if you're going to be one of those whiny people who who are genuinely angry and complainy because your toy is slightly less shiny than it was yesterday, go post in the Neo Geo forums. They're the perfect group for you. Ben Ven has just announced a backlit drop-in replacement for the Game Boy Color's LCD screen. His original kits used the aftermarket AGS 101 screens, the Game Boy Advance screens, and required you to cut the plastic on the inside of your Game Boy Color for it to fit in. These new screens that he found drop right in with no cutting whatsoever, and the resolution is a 4x linear upscale of the original. Um, this one has no added lag that he could tell. It's locked at the original frame rate of the Game Boy Color's video, and there's no weird blurring or interlaced artifacts. It's basically just a perfect 4x upscale that fits right in. Um, I believe it's not as big as dropping in the AGS 101 screen, but it's certainly not small, and you don't have any weird aspect ratio issues like you would with the GB Boy Color. Um, so this really looks like for the first time, at least uh, for the first time since I've been researching it, a, a perfect replacement for the Game Boy Color. I'd love to see one of these myself to try it out. I do always prefer playing on a big screen. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting old or if I just really like laying back on a couch, but uh, I would still love to at least borrow one of these and play through a little bit of a game on it. So uh, anybody in the New York area has one, please let me know, or we'll be getting one. But this looks really exciting because I think, uh, at least for my hands, the Game Boy Color was the most comfortable of the handhelds. Um, I liked the orientation, I, I just I liked everything about how it felt while I was gaming on it. So uh, I'd love to see a, a real backlit, crystal clear screen for it. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to get one and do a video at some point. There's been some pretty cool progress in trying to simplify the process of RGB modding a CRT. Someone on the Shmups forums has posted their open, open source design for a new board that interfaces with the on-screen display chip. So for anybody new or who could use a quick refresher, the way that most of these mods are done is you take the on-screen display chip, the chip that puts on the text when you're uh, raising the volume or something, um, and that outputs in RGB because if you, would, if you were to output that in composite, you wouldn't be able to read any of the lettering. So the, the thought was, why not take the RGBS pins of those and lift the pins off the OSD and inject whatever signal you're from your games into it? And in most cases, it works. As long as you have the schematic and you're able to figure that out, as well as the blanking pin, which could switch on the OSD, uh, it seems to work fine. But it's a bit clunky to do the install. Uh, you have to lift the pins, run those to a switch, run the pads to a switch, and then, you know, wire in a SCART connector or something. So there's a big mess of wires. Um, you know, you have to switch between inputs, and there's no way to do it, at the moment at least, without a switch. A few people had tried, but I think they ran into issues. Um, so while I think this is great, um, and I love that it's open source, what I would love to see from the retro gaming community is a device that uh, maybe you desolder the OSD and then put it in a socketed board, uh, exactly like you would with the NES RGB. So you pull out the OSD chip, you put it in this board, you solder this board in its place, and then you have all of the components that you need right there. So all you would need to do is then get the RGBS signal into it. 
And to take it a step further, maybe try to find cables that already exist that are shielded to go from one end to the other. Uh, so I guess you could use VGA uh, for that. Um, you could probably also use IDE. But whatever it is, the thought is that on this board and on whatever board you would be wiring on the output or the input side on the outside of the CRT, all you would have to do is solder the connectors to the board, not solder each individual connection. Because I like to use shielded cables on the inside of a CRT. So being able to solder RGBS and then their grounds for each one of them and running these cables through with zip ties all nice and neat and, you know, it's a pain. Um, and it makes it a lot harder and a lot more time consuming and there's more chance of error. So having just connectors on each end, like I said, even VGA, although it's probably too thick and heavy, but whatever, connector on each end. Um, so uh, I think that would be the most elegant solution, especially if you could use some kind of automatic switching so that when you're pressing the on-screen display, um, you see that. And then when the OSD goes away, you see the game. Uh, so that would be the perfect solution. And I do realize that that would mean you would need a different board for every OSD. But I think that there's two main styles of uh, TV, at least that I've seen around here, that people have been doing these mods to. And I think the best ones you could ask for, although they come in many different sizes, you know, 20 inch, 27, 32, I believe the boards on the inside all use the exact same OSD chips. So being able to come up with this open source design and then modifying it for only four or five different chips, which I know it's a lot of work, four or five, but it's not hundreds, you know, where this would probably work on a lot of different models, certainly much more than the four or five boards. So while I don't, I'm not 100% under, in understanding of what it would take to do that, at the very least, you would be able to wire in the blanking switch as well. So even if you couldn't do it automatically, having a board in an installation the way I described would definitely simplify the process for everybody um, with more of a chance of a higher quality signal. Because anytime you have analog signals, the longer the cable, the more chance of interference. And without shielding, of course, you're definitely going to pick up something. So I, if anybody wants to step up to the plate and start bringing this project a little bit further, please check out the Shmups posts. Uh, contact me if you'd like uh, introductions to anybody else working on this stuff, because I really think having something the way I just described it would open up this as a possibility for a lot more people, as well as the fact that RGB monitors are getting really hard to find. They're getting jacked up in price. There are sellers on eBay who are selling terrible monitors in garbage condition for like 1500 bucks that'll probably be a whole separate rant and video at some point too so getting a consumer grade tv doing an rgb mod and maybe some general maintenance do some a uh, cap replacement and check out some conversion strips on there but you know a, basically a weekend project and you could end up with potentially better than an arcade monitor maybe not as good as a calibrated bvm but still something that your average gamer or retro gamer would be really excited about all for something that might cost you forty dollars you know just uh, in the used bin somewhere so hopefully this project would take off and of course i always have to add it's very dangerous, or at least potentially dangerous, to work on CRTs. I've banned plenty of people for saying, no, it's not. Feel free to, you know, flop your hand around in there. That it's not true. Even if the chance is more than zero of serious injury, that's more than almost every other project I've ever talked about. There is zero chance of death 
while RGB modding a SNES Mini, unless it has nothing to do with the SNES Mini, if you get struck by lightning through a window. Whereas the chance is not zero when working on a CRT. So please, please be careful if you do any of this stuff. Um, and if you're really great at board design and really great at schematics and signals, but not so great at actually modding these things, talk to me. I'll find somebody in your area who is, and we'll work together to get this done. Because this is something that could really change retro gaming for the future when these RGB monitors are near impossible to find, but consumer-grade TVs are still out there. And speaking of dangerously working on CRTs, someone just posted a blog entry showing their experience doing a tube swap from a Sony PVM. And this is something that I think every RGB monitor owner should at least be aware of as a possibility, even if their skill set or the time they have doesn't allow for it. Because I think many people, especially anybody who owns one now, might be envisioning their own personal scenario. But many people might be in a place where they have access to multiple monitors, and one is in perfect condition with a very aging tube, and the other one maybe not, or might not have the same features. And it's good to know if those tubes are compatible or not. Um, it's not as easy as unplugging and plugging in. Uh, it's not like swapping a memory card. It's certainly a lot more effort than that. But I do know somebody who had a Sony BVM D-Series that they had done a cap replacement and a calibration on. Um, they took really good care of it, but the tube was just on its way out. So they had purchased my old A-Series BVM, which had a mint condition tube. That thing was brand new. And they disassembled both and did the full swap. And that meant that now they have a D-series BVM with like a 2,000 hour brand new tube on it that supports all the resolutions you could throw at it. Awesome. But now they also have an A-series BVM with, you know, you're not going to put the BKM68X card in that because that's not only too expensive for most people anyway, but, you, you know, you wouldn't waste the old tube on it. But you certainly would put a composite video card in there. And yeah, the tube's aging, but now you have like the best composite video monitor on the planet right there for, you know essentially for free uh, so rather than throwing one out now you have use of both and both of those tubes went where they should be so that's one scenario of many different ones that people would run into but it's something that uh, you should at least be aware of um, I would recommend just flipping through the blog to see what this entails because you do need to disassemble everything pretty much in many of these cases um, and you even need to do a little bit of disassembly to read disassembly to read the stickers on the tube to make sure that they're directly compatible. But tube swapping is going to, I guarantee will become something that's more common, especially now that these things aren't made anymore. So we have to just make do with what we have. And I've seen tube swaps in arcade machines. I've seen consumer TVs being swapped into an arcade machine that looked better than the arcade monitor, <laughs> you know, B PVM and BVM swaps. So it's just something that we should all become more familiar with, especially which models are compatible with which tubes. Uh, and hopefully I will get a chance to do an extensive video on this at some point in the future. I think at earliest it would be the end of the year, but I think uh, CRT maintenance and things about and around CRTs are extremely important. Um, I just talked about the consumer grade one, now this one, and it's something I would really like to dedicate a lot of my time to just to help everybody out that wants to start using these things. Because, you know, like I keep saying, they don't make them anymore. Whatever we have left is all we have. So let's try to make the best of them and try to get the best quality out of all of them. The Doomsday Duplicator Project has just announced the release of LD Decode Revision 4. 
And LD Decode is the software that takes the raw capture of the disc and turns it into a video file. With each upgrade came a bunch of features and quality enhancements. And the very cool thing about this is once you get the raw copy, the pit perfect copy of the Laserdisc, um, that could sit on a drive somewhere. And if new versions of LD Decode come out that figure out better and different ways to get the video image out, you could just take that original rip and rerun it through the software. And you know, for essentially just you know, press a button and walk away, you now have what could be a better version of something you already captured. So I love this project. I love that I got to interview Simon and Chad. I only wish I had uh, more time to, to hunt down laser discs and possibly find a way to get this project working on VCRs as well, and even beta, I guess, just for the heck of it. So uh, anybody that's interested in this stuff and has the ability to help, um, please at least check it out because this, I think, is going to be the best way and really one of the most important ways to archive any of these old things that don't have better options. You know, there's still tons of laser discs that their only versions of that movie or the only versions of that commentary are on the laser disc. Um, there's tons of VHS and beta tapes that only have special editions on that. And I know for me personally, I've seen a lot of my friends uh, get pretty emotional when I was able to transfer some of their old tapes to digital and for them to share on YouTube, put on a disc, whatever else, um, you know, even if it's just something that's important to, to you, it's still important. So any, any way I could help this project, I will. And I hope more people feel the same way. So please check it out and check out the interview as well for anybody who's unfamiliar. Um, you know, there was a fun interview, two awesome guys, and I can't wait to see this thing take off even bigger. Frank Strasser has just uploaded design files for two easy install CDI 220 RGB boards. Um, so essentially with the CDI front loading consoles or any CDI that has the Sony CXA chip driving video, all you really need to do is pull RGBS from the chip, load it up to a bunch of components and then have it output through a connector and you're all set. But the problem is you would either need to do it on a breadboard, which works perfect, but kind of looks pretty bad, especially these days when so many people are doing high quality designs, or you could solder directly to the pins and the pads itself. But as much as you can absolutely make that a strong and solid installation, it doesn't look as nice. And there's always a much higher chance of something getting dropped or shifted and, and some damage being done. So Frank's board allows you to only uh, route wires. So you solder the wires right to the top, um, have a clean mounting location the way uh, he has here as well as a clean way to run the wires and this output board does all the work for you. It does involve desoldering the RF jack which is a pain if you don't have the right tools however that also makes this a complete no cut mod. No holes, holes need to be drilled you just use the existing RF hole which I hope none of us were using anyway um, and there's even two versions available. One with the Mini Din 8 connector, which allows for uh, all of the processing to be done on the board and a perfect signal to be outputted. And then you just pick up one of the uh, matching cables, same exact style that's on the Haas Supergun, as well as plenty others. Um, and that's it, you're done. Frank also uploaded a version that's really designed to use a Genesis 2 cable. And I think this is for people that want to use the HD Retrovision cables. The only thing that I'm going to add to this 
is this is 100% unsupported. I'm pretty sure Steve has never even tried this on a CDI. So, and with all due respect to everybody involved, Frank, HD Retrovision, um, you know, they spent a lot of time tweaking those cables for each console. And the goal of those HD Retrovision cables weren't to be some generic solution. They were to be as good as you could possibly make them tuned for each console. So, uh, you know, the CXA is the same as the uh, Genesis. Uh, the signals are similar, so you'll probably have a good experience with the HD Retrovision cables. But if you do that, just understand that it's unsupported and your, you know, your results may vary. Uh, so not to discourage anybody. Obviously, they're my friends. I want to, you know, I want to support their work. But that's definitely not what the HD Retrovisions were designed for. So uh, in my opinion, if you're doing this, I would just do it uh, with the 8-pin version. Uh, and as you can see here, it, it allows for a perfectly clean uh, output, everything right on the pads, no cutting whatsoever, and now you have the highest quality signal out of the lowest quality console. <laughs> the creator of the Haas Supergun has just opened pre-orders on his CPS2 I.O. board, which is essentially for people who use Marcus's HDMI kit in their CPS2 arcade board. Um, if you're using HDMI only, there's no need to have a full super gun because you won't need video or audio outputs. So this board sits in place of a super gun, allowing for full options, controller support, pretty much the same stuff that you would get, just no audio or video output because you're getting that from the HDMI port. So um, he's offering these for about 45 US, but he also has all of the design documents up for anybody that wants to make their own. Um, and it's kind of interesting because this is what I would recommend as a, one of the many things I would recommend as a great beginner project because there's a lot of stuff to solder and they're probably going to have errors if it's your first project, but there's no really tiny pins. It's easier to work with. Um, so it, it's a fun project, but if you're going to be making these in low quantities, it's going to be a lot more expensive than his, uh, his 45 that he's charging. Uh, I, I used Rush shipping for OSH Park, and then I used uh, Priority shipping from DigiKey, which isn't you know that much more expensive. But making three of these ended up being I think like seventy a piece or, or something when all is said and done. Um, and also the Gemma connectors are really hard to find. Hopefully, uh, if anybody watching has a good U.S. source for those, I would really appreciate it. Uh, the only ones that I know of are come from China, and the ones that I got were were pretty tight. Like, um, you know, tighter than usual, and it might be a little bit too tight, so I'm probably going to have to trim some of the plastic on the inside or something, uh, maybe just the inside edges. Um, but Mike has links to where to get the other versions of them that aren't so bad. So overall, I think it's a, it's a great thing for people that have the HDMI output installed in their CPS2. I definitely recommend uh, buying them pre-made unless you enjoy it or unless um, you, know, you just... What a fun first project to start on because it would save money. And he's also offering uh, different kick harnesses, controller adapters, and everything else. And the kick harness is something that I think you should pay attention to because, uh, let's see if I can get a good picture. Uh, this is the length of your average kick connector because you want it long enough to be able to get from the CPS2 to wherever uh, on your super gun it's mounted. But as you can see, there's a lot of slack and the more slack, the more chance of it catching on something, whatever. So uh, as you can see here, I mean, you don't need 
three inches out of that at least. So uh, Mike said he's going to be offering custom length kick connectors for it. And I, I hope other people would too for anybody that wants to do the do-it-yourself versions. Um, I tried com- uh, contacting Gemma Nation X and never heard back. So uh, you know anybody that has the ability to make these, I think it would be cool to put them up uh, for sale. And one last thing to mention is that anybody that wants to make their own or just wants choices, uh, Frank, the creator of the Sentinel Supergun, has made his own version of this. Both are, you know, open source free designs. So if you would like one that inserts, uh, that's a, a forward plug rather than something that sits flush, uh, you have choices. And I bet people looking at all of these are going to say, this is good for my needs. No, that's good for my needs. So it's great. Uh, lots of options out there. And I'm just really glad that these are available for pre-order, both for people to save cost. And while I love open source and I love do-it-yourself projects, the fact is that many people just don't have the time or desire to put these things together. So uh, thank you to, thanks Mike for making these as well as giving the design away for people that want to make themselves. All right, now it's time to announce the winner for this month's supporter giveaway, a Genesis 2 with a triple bypass installed in it. Um, This console came from Brooklyn Video Games, so I want to give a huge shout out to them for all their support. Uh, The board itself was installed by Jose Cruz, who's been a tremendous help since the beginning of the testing started. I think he's done the most out of of anybody who's installed these so far. And um, of course, designed by Rene from DB Electronics, so shout out to him. But I think the triple bypass board that's in here may have actually come from Insurrection Industries, and I forgot to give them a shout out last week, so my my sincere apologies. Uh, Insurrection's been supporting this since the moment um, we gave the okay and said, yeah, the board's working perfect, let's move forward. Um, I think they have two versions available to purchase on their website for a very fair price. In fact, much cheaper than it would cost if you ordered parts for three and had to hand assemble them or something. But... um, I believe they have the version for the Genesis 1 and the ASIC, the Genesis 2, but if you're looking for the GOAC version, the Genesis 3 version, you would probably need to buy the Genesis 2 version and just replace two resistors on it or something. Um, all of the bombs are up there and the instructions are on uh, the, um, uh, the GitHub for it, but I'm pretty sure it's just two components and a really easy swap out. So if you're looking to do a Genesis 3 install, I still recommend picking it up from Insurrection. You could just do the, uh, the quick swap out. But I'm really excited to give this away to somebody. I love this project so much. Uh, you know, The Genesis is one of the consoles that it's so hard to get a good signal out of. And through the help of many amazing people, we've nailed it down on almost every revision. And we're getting close on the Model 1s as well. Uh, There was a bit of a delay there for a while, but hopefully by next week I should have some kind of solid info on what to do about the Genesis 1 installs as well. So a huge shout out and a thank you to everybody involved. Links to everybody are going to be down below. And now let's do the drawing for what I believe is the thing that the most people have ever voted for on any one of these drawings that I've ever done. So I'm glad that you guys are all as excited about it as I am. So let's get on to the drawing. All right, here we go. Here's all the names from all of the platforms, not just Patreon. Anybody who supports gets thrown into this. Uh, and this is a record for the most entries I've ever gotten for any of these giveaways, so that's pretty awesome. But uh, here we go. Let's see who the winner is. <laughs> Centrifugal Bumble Pup. 
is now the winner of the Triple Bypass Genesis 2. Uh, what an awesome name and what an awesome Genesis. So I hope you enjoy it very much. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, it's always really appreciated. Um, and thank you for the hilarious name. Before I go, I just got to give a huge thank you and shout out to everybody that's been contributing to Retro RGB, whether it's been the awesome posts that have been written or any of the behind the scenes research or even a lot of the behind the scenes uh, like web work that's been going on. A lot more people have stepped up and I absolutely love it. I'm really looking forward to the growth of Retro RGB and having it be a community thing. Um, and I've always said the site's never been about me. It's always been about us. And now we're actually on our way to making that a reality. So thank you so much to everybody who supports any way they can, whether it's contributing articles, just donating to any of the support uh, systems like Patreon, Bitbacker, or Subscribestar, or even just helping with some of the research and stuff that we've been doing, because some of the videos and guides that will be coming out in the next few months are really geared to help everyone with problems that a lot of us in the retro gaming scene run into. So uh, I'm hoping, uh, without sounding too cheesy, I'm hoping to really make a difference with this stuff. Uh, and I cannot do it without your help. And thank you so much for all the help that's been given. So anybody who wants to write an article or help with anything, just let me know. And uh, you know, thank you to all the people that have already been helping, and we'll see you next time.